To get us kicked off, we're going to bring up our reader for today. Um, he's going to come up and read our passage of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> My name is Jake Shores, and I'm in the high school group here at Living Streams. I had a good joke, but they won't let me tell it, so. Yeah. No jokes allowed. <laughs> I'll be reading Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat and blew against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed at his teaching, because he had taught as one with authority, and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very nice, very nice. Um, yeah, so this is, this is the wrap-up. We have kind of the last words of Jesus, the last little kind of analogy that he gives. He talks about the, the foolish builder and the wise builder, and the wise builder is the one who takes his words, literally his words, and puts them into practice. Not just hears them, not just understands them, but actually puts them into practice. Is like someone who is, who is really set, who's prepared for whatever might come who can withstand the, the winds and the, and the waves and the crashing and all of that that goes on. Someone who is planted firmly on a rock that's going to you know, kind of stand the test of time. And as the tides come and as things change and feelings come and emotions go and thoughts come and philosophies come and doctrines come and all these things, they're going to be able to find themselves not falling, not crashing, not being destroyed. And that's the way he ends his sermon. He basically gave us the whole, you know, it's three chapters in the, in, in the book of Matthew, but all of these words, about 15 to 20 minutes if you were to read the whole thing. And, and, and then he sums it up with that. And then immediately Matthew, the commentator, says, and when Jesus had finished these words, when he finished this sermon, Matthew noted what happened to all the people that were listening. Now we know he primarily had pulled his disciples and he was using this as a time to teach them, but there was a, a, a larger crowd than just his disciples that were there. And they were on the side of the hill looking over the Sea of Galilee and Jesus had probably done this many different places around the Sea of Galilee as that was his circuit of ministry and teaching. And he was teaching people about the kingdom, but he was also like ushering in the manifestation of the kingdom of God right in that moment. And people were getting healed, people were getting set free. Good news was being preached to the poor. And they had the hope rise up in their hearts against the political and socioeconomic backdrop in which they were living. But Matthew notes here, in that moment when Jesus had finished his sermon, there was silence, there was hush, there was stillness. You could hear the breeze, you could hear maybe a little bit of the sea. And he says, in that moment, there was this amazement, this kind of like awe that settled in on all the people. And they actually remarked, he remembers them saying they were amazed at his words. And what was so amazing to him was that Jesus was teaching unlike anyone that they had ever heard. He taught with authority, unlike the teachers of the law. And that settled amazement 
was something that stuck with those disciples. That settled amazement is really what caused those disciples to continue to stay with Jesus. That settled amazement, as you read through the, the Gospels, you'll hear that over and over again. When Jesus said this, everyone was amazed. When Jesus said they they were shocked. They were in awe. When Jesus said this, they didn't know what to do. Later on, John, who was one of Jesus' followers, as he was writing about these two guys that were Jesus' followers on the road to Emmaus, he describes it as them saying, did not our hearts burn within us upon the road as he spoke to us? I don't know what it was like to actually hear Jesus in the flesh speaking. I don't know if his voice was like high-pitched or like super low. I'm sure as he spoke, there was a lot of because he mostly spoke Hebrew. <laughs> but I don't know what it would have been like to actually hear it. And then, and then also what Matthew says, they were amazed. There wasn't, I just think when Jesus spoke these words, if you've been with us, it's heavy. It's like a punch in the gut sometimes. It's intense. It's challenging. Jesus says that we're supposed to call our, our God in heaven daddy, as opposed to what the Jews were teaching at that time, that you're not even allowed to write the name out because it's too holy and reverent. It was shocking. It was amazing. But as Jesus finished, there was no condemnation for the people that heard it. And guess what? These people were not checking off all the boxes as Jesus taught this. They weren't saying, oh yeah, I do all that stuff perfectly. Glad you said that. But there was something about the tone of his voice. There was something about the look in his eyes. There was something away that he, he moved that really helped all of these people believe that the one who was speaking actually was telling them this because he thought they could get there. That they could be perfect even as their Father in heaven is perfect. It was an invitation more than a condemnation. And yes, they were convicted. Yes, they knew. (laughs) When he was talking about anger, I was like looking at the ground on that one. (laughs) When he was talking about adultery, I just thought maybe I should leave right now, but then I thought everybody know I just committed adultery, so I stayed. All these different emotions as Jesus was pinning one by one all these different things that we deal with as humanity. He was calling out the depravity in us. He even at one point says, you are evil, and yet you know how to give good gifts. How much more will my Father in heaven give good gifts who's not evil? Some intensity in all of this. And yet the people's response was not to go further away from Jesus. It was to get closer. It was to say, maybe, just maybe, if I stay close to this guy, some of the beauty that he just spoke of, some of the truth that he just shared will start to show up in my life. The words of Jesus, powerful. The words of God are so good. And this is not just true in this little passage here, but we see this consistently throughout the whole of Scripture, way back in the Old Testament. It all begins with God doing what? Speaking. It says, God said, let there be light, and everything changed. There was light. There was stained glass windows. (laughs) There were lights that are like blinding me right now. There was light. He created light when he spoke. He didn't have to speak. He could have just done like the Jedi, you know? He could have just thought it. But for whatever reason, he spoke into that darkness to create light. He spoke to the ocean, and it filled with fish and life. 
He spoke to the cosmos and all of a sudden sun and moon and stars appeared. There's so much power in the word of God. And then you continue on and it's story after story in the Old Testament how God visited someone and what did he do? He spoke to him through a burning bush. He spoke to him somehow just in his heart. He understood. He spoke in a vision. We don't know exactly all the different ways that God spoke to people, but we do know that God spoke to people and they recorded it for us time and time again. And it caused great change in their life. In fact, in a real bizarre way, you ready to get crazy here? So the book of Ezekiel, don't read it before you're going to bed. It's creepy. It's totally bizarre. The book of Revelation, You should read it because it's the, actually the only book in the Bible that says if you read it, you will be blessed. You just got to read it. You don't have to understand it. Just read it and you'll be blessed. Just take the word for the word, what it's saying. But it also is just crazy out there. And in both of these stories, you have this interesting thing. Both of them. One's old, one's new. They're not connected at all, but um, you have these visions. Sorry, in case you're like wondering what's going on here. I know there's kids in the room. And my wife's in the room too. <laughs> She's kind of like a kid in her brain. But um, I hurt my, my finger playing football yesterday because I'm old. Um, but anyways, so they, 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 um, they, in these visions, you have Ezekiel and he's there and he's kind of caught up in this heavenly realm. There's like angels and there's the throne of God and all of a sudden he sees a scroll and he hears this voice, this voice that says, take up the scroll. And all the attention is put on the scroll and he takes up the scroll and then the voice says, eat it. It's true. And I don't know how. If it was like tear a little piece off, eat it, drink a little water. I don't know how. Put a little barbecue sauce on it. Whatever. He ate the scroll in the vision. And same thing in, in, in Revelation. John's having this revelation. And he's there caught up in the heavens. He's like, oh, this is crazy. This is awesome. This is awesome. And then the scroll appears. He's like, oh, scroll. That's cool. And, and he's like, go take the scroll. He takes the scroll. And guess what the voice says? Eat it. So, he eats the scroll. He eats it. And both of them remark that as they ate the scroll, it tasted so sweet in their mouths, like Rocky Road ice cream. Maybe a Bosa donut, like the chocolate-covered one, that's just fresh, or maybe four of them <laughs> at the same time, stacked up, smashed down, or whatever. It was sweet in their mouth as they tasted it. They remarked, it, it was, there was something about the word that was just amazing and wonderful as they took it in. But then it says, and then when it got to their belly, it became sour. Begin to kind of shake things up. It didn't set well in their stomachs. And I think that's just a picture of, of how we're really supposed to take in the word of God. As Jesus spoke these words, the people heard it. And as they heard it, they were amazed. It was sweet in their hearing. But as Jesus' words begin to really take root in us, as we begin to let his words abide in us, as Jesus taught, what happens is as it settles into the core of our being, we realize we're not allowed to be the same anymore. We cannot come away from the word of Jesus, the words of God, and stay the way we are. It challenges us. It cleanses us. It cleanses our minds. It cleanses our hearts. It's supposed to do that because we have a lot of things within us that are disordered. 
And yet the word of God, it comes, it's so sweet, it's so right, it's so good, it's so refreshing because we hear so many lies, so much false truth, so much partial truth. But when Jesus speaks, when the word of God speaks, it just tells us exactly the way it is. And it's so refreshing, but it also is so challenging. And there are people right now who read different parts of the scripture and it's painful, it's disturbing. It cuts them in half. And there's a real sense in our society today to try and take God's word that's been preserved for us and to kind of just throw it out and not really let it have a voice at the table anymore. Or what is to me even maybe a little bit more dangerous is it can stay at the table, but it's got to sit at the little kid table, you know, off in the corner or the little baby seat, and we've stripped it of all of its authority. And yet these people, when they heard the words of Jesus, that wasn't their response. They were challenged by it. And in fact, these disciples, they stuck with Jesus long enough to where it really cost them everything, including their own lives, to continue to walk in his ways. And to put his ways above what they were feeling, what they were experiencing, what society was telling them to do. And so we have a statement here at Living Streams that we really believe that this book, Old and New Testament, the full canon of scriptures, preserved for us, it's all inspired by the word of God, by, by God, by the breath of God. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. It's come to us because God has helped form this. Yes, there were humans involved. Yes, the chapters and verses were supposed to be helpful and sometimes they're not helpful at all. It spans all kinds of different culturals. It spans all kinds of years. So it takes interpretation, no doubt about it, and careful application. And it's been used horribly and abusively in many different situations, no doubt about it. However, it is the word of God, breathed out by God himself for us to help us know how to navigate the challenges that continue to rise in our own hearts and in our world around us. And the other word that we call it is we call it authoritative. It sits at the head of the table. And the community of faith, it's got a voice for us to help unpack it. The historical interpretations and traditions sit at the table to help us unpack it. And our experiences, our feelings, our emotions, those around us, the world around us, that has a voice too, but it's the one sitting in the baby chair. Because it really does cause us to be confused sometimes because it's the least trustworthy. It's the least inspired. It's the least authoritative. And it takes me back to what Jesus said, that we can have a decision 
Jesus said, I'm gonna share these words with you and they're gonna taste sweet in your mouth, but when they get down in, it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be challenging to walk this stuff out. It's gonna be challenging to hold and stand your ground in these places when everyone else has fallen away or when everyone else that you love is hurting because of some of these things. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tricky. There's gonna look like there's a lot of other rocks that you're gonna wanna stand on. There's a lot of other ground that's gonna look like maybe it's better. But Jesus is saying, this, this is the only rock that's gonna be able to stand when the, when the storm really comes. When all hell breaks loose. If you find yourself standing on anything else, you're gonna get washed away. And we don't wanna be a people washed away. And we don't wanna teach our kids things that would help cause them to be washed away later on. And kids in the room, you're going to have, hear a lot of different things about this book, but just hear me say that this book is trustworthy. It's a great guide for your life. No matter what the world might say around you, this book has withstood a lot of different worlds, a lot of different philosophies. A lot of people have tried to throw off the authority of this thing, and they've done so to their own peril. So, why are Jesus' words, why is God's words so important and so moving. Well, the first thing I want us to remember is the incarnation, right? So Jesus came into this world. He came from a place into this world. Now, it's a little tricky with God because God's outside of time and we are not. God is not confined in any way. We're confined in lots of ways. But God, who was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a triune nature, at one point decided within our human experience to have Jesus come and take on human flesh. Actually, the way John, his follower, calls him is he was trying to figure out, what's the best way I can describe Jesus? He says, I'm gonna call him the Word that came in flesh. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus was to John. He was this Word, he was this understanding, he was this moving you know, language that was spoken to him that changed everything. But so in the incarnation, Jesus came from the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of earth. So it made sense that as he spoke about the kingdom of heaven, it was like nothing anyone had ever heard. If you came to me and you were like, hey, tell me about Morocco, I'd be like, it's over there somewhere. It starts with an M. But I could probably find somebody that's been there, done that, and they could teach you about it. But then if you were to ask my wife and I about Belize, we'd be like, blah, 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 blah. just come shooting out. We have lots of stories to tell about Belize, and still, we don't really totally know Belize. But Jesus is, came to us incarnate from the kingdom of heaven, which also means that he was there when the world was created. And in fact, it was his own word that the Bible says is what created it, created everything. And it's his word that actually holds it all together still today. The word of Christ. So when Jesus came and spoke about the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven and the way people are supposed to live, it was a perspective so deep, so rich, so powerful, so undeniable. The incarnation. The second thing was very interesting to me is that Jesus' words were so powerful because he linked his words to the inspired word of God. 
multiple times in his life, and actually two different times in this little short sermon, Jesus talks about the law and the prophets as confirming what he's saying. He's not creating separation and distance between his words and the law and the prophets. He's actually linking them together because he knows that they are trustworthy and true. And he spoke of them in that way. And in this day and age, the Old Testament's getting a lot of bad press. And I get it. There's some tough things that need some cultural lenses. I'm so thankful we have Jesus' words in the New Testament to help us interpret the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is alive and well and important. It's a great revelation of how God works with people. It's a great revelation of who God is. And Jesus was not embarrassed about it or nervous about it. He actually used it time and time again and linked his teaching to it, which is fascinating to me. Sometimes I wish he didn't do it. <laughs> I'd love to write that whole thing off. But I would do so to my own peril because it's teaching us about who God is in his full nature. And yes, it needs to be interpreted through the New Testament and through the words of Jesus. But the truth is you can't really understand the New Testament without reading and knowing the Old Testament. They're so connected. They're all inspired by God. I know this is super unpopular teaching, by the way. And I know that there's, there's scriptures that really do hurt when we read them. In fact, if we're honest, all of us hurt to some degree, but some more than others, and I understand that. But I really, really feel like it's my job to make sure and try and give us the things that are gonna be good seed that ultimately lead to good fruit. And I think there's just a lot of bad seed being planted in our nation. And I don't want it to be planted in our churches and I don't want it to be planted in our families. And it might seem like really good seed, just like Jesus talked about in these couple parables before the, the foolish and wise builder. It might look like a good seed. It might actually look like a good tree too. But it's gonna bear real bad fruit and I feel like our nation is just grabbing so much bad fruit right now trying to get some sort of satisfaction. And the tree of life is just sitting right over there but they need to see it planted and, and expressed in us. They need to see the fruit coming out of our lives. As we apply the word of God, as we put these things into practice, unlike a fool. A couple stories on that. I, was, I just, I love you people, this church, you guys are so awesome. I get a call from a young guy in our church and, and uh, I was just like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, I just wanna catch you up. I've been gone for the summer. I was like, okay, what's happening? He's like, well, I got, I got my first job. And it's a big deal for a number of reasons, but he got his first job and he's gonna get a paycheck. And he's like, I'm gonna get this paycheck. And, you know, and they were paying him like a pretty good amount of money for you know, like just a guy first starting out with a job. At least for me, it seemed like that. Cause I was like, dang man, you making the same? I'm liking, what's going on here? Anyways, no, 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 no big deal there. But it, but it was like, he was saying this, he was so excited about about this new job that he had and that he was getting this paycheck and I was just like, that's cool, man. I'm so happy for you because, you know, he's even had some like, you know, visa type stuff and all the things he's been working out. So it really is kind of a miraculous, wonderful thing that he's got this. But he's so excited about this paycheck and he just keeps talking about this paycheck and I was like, 
what are you, what are you asking about your paycheck, man? Like, are you just, like, I don't get it. And ultimately he was saying, I just want to give it to the Lord. And I, I want to talk to you about how do you do that? Like, do you just give the whole thing or should I give part of it? Or should I give some over here and some over here? He was like, what do you reckon? And I was just like, oh man, this is unbelievable. This guy's just so thankful to the Lord that he just wants to give first fruits right to God. Not because, you know, he's burdened under some, you know, heavy, heavy teaching, because he just wants so badly to please the Lord. He's so thankful to the Lord. He wants to plant his life firmly on what he believes to be the words of Jesus. And so I said, give it all to me, man. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, I'm a pastor, man. You're supposed to give it straight to me, you know, and it's going to work out. No, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say anything other. Um, but anyways, we talked a little bit about tithing and 10%, and we talked a little about savings. We talked a little, and he talked a little about his family who had helped him through college. And all this stuff. So it was, it was cool. Just so you know, I, I'm not getting any of the money at all. Zero, 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 zero. Um, but anyway, so that was one story that was just like, this is putting the words of Jesus into practice, it's putting the word of God into practice, and it doesn't have to be this like heavy, hard, painful thing. We're actually supposed to, in the New Testament, interpret the Old Testament, we're supposed to give cheerfully. And this is a beautiful story of this kid just saying, I'm so excited to finally be able to do this for Jesus, because it's the first time I have a job. Love it. Second little story about applying the Word of God in some really cool ways. We've been talking about the words of Jesus. A couple years ago, we actually did a, a sermon series called Church Around the Table and how we really feel like, you know, it's cool to, to be able to meet together and all of these things. But, um, but really, the, the, some of the, the most special, some of the most challenging, some of the richest pay dirt in our spiritual formation and maybe even in evangelism is around our own tables in our own homes. And we were challenging people to kind of take the word of God and apply it to um, um, your own table at home. And, and what would it look like? Remember Jesus was, invited, was inviting himself over to people's tables and he was meeting with tax collectors and sinners and he was kind of bringing people together that didn't seem like they were allowed to be together. And so what this guy um, and his wife decided to do was to create these dinners where they, they call them M-Gen, so they invite multiple generations to the, sit at their table together because they're, they're in the older generation. <laughs> um, and so they literally are old enough to where they were able to invite four different, five different generations together at this table. It was funny for Brittany and I because we're no longer like the young generation. We're like in that middle, middle age generation. We were like, oh, it's happening. And then, you know, I my finger and... All kind of stuff going. But anyway, so we're sitting around this table, and, and there's this couple that are in their older generation. And then there's us, and then there's one couple that's younger, and then there was a couple that's older, and then another couple that was, you know, older. And, um, and we all just started to share stories. And, and I knew going in um, that, you know, not all of us were, were believers in Jesus Christ, um, followers of Jesus Christ. I knew one of the couples was, was a homosexual couple, and uh, so we just all sat there and we all just kind of shared our stories, shared about life. And they went first and they got real. So then it was like, okay, well, if they're setting the standard there, everybody else was going as real as they could, you know. Um, but Brittany and I went next. And as, I, I mean, as 
the believers around the table are sharing their stories, obviously they're just full of what Jesus has done, full of what Jesus has done, and, uh, and yet no like challenge or weirdness there, and then everyone else is able to share their story and where they're at, and they felt a little bit obligated to share what their spiritual formation is like, and you know, we all just kind of listened, and, and, that, and that was it. And we just had dinner together. We sat in the same space and enjoyed our time together and got to know each other. And I thought it was just such a beautiful, beautiful way of applying the Word of God and saying, okay, we don't want to just kind of do this uh, one hour a week on Sunday morning. We don't just want to kind of, you know, do this when we go on a little missions trip and we go like involve ourselves in a, in, in a, in a part of society that's maybe not the exact same. We want it right here at our table. We want to go all the way in. And it was just so beautiful to see and so challenging as I sat there and saw the word of God applied, but then also felt compelled, okay, Lord, where do I go from here? But those are the type of seeds that need to be planted right now. Those are the type of seeds that are gonna lead to good fruit, that are gonna cause our nation, whatever kind of craziness it wants to do or not do, but ultimately people are gonna come to the end of themselves. They're gonna come face to face with their own depravity and they're gonna say, is there any good fruit out there? And Lord willing, we'll have fostered relationships and we'll have allowed the word of God to abide in us to where it's bearing good fruit in our life. And they're gonna say, what do you have to offer? You'll be like, what's up? Hey. Apple. We'll have good fruit to offer. And people will get to know who God is and what he can do in their lives. But it all starts with the words of Jesus. And the words of Jesus are definitely here in the Gospels, the four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The words of Jesus expand beyond those Gospels into the New Testament. The words of Jesus fill the whole Old Testament as well. All of this counsel is so good for us. The words of Jesus come to us from other places as well. Come from sermons, come from friends. The Bible talks about creation, speaking about the invisible attributes of God. We have the Spirit of God that's been given to us, who've accepted Christ, speaks to us from that. We have the saints of old that have answered a lot of the questions that we have, giving us information. The words of Jesus come to us from a lot of different places. And if we really wanna hear God's word, when he speaks, we gotta remember that he's teaching us the kingdom of heaven way. And so when it is different than the kingdom of earth way that we're so familiar with, we should not be shocked. We should not argue and we should not rebel. We should receive it and get in line with it. No matter how hard it is. Because God is not really trying to help us win in the kingdom of earth economy. And if you haven't figure that out through the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to it again. He's teaching us how to win at the economy of heaven, which is ultimately what really matters. And if we want to hear from God's word, we must remember that it will be in line with the scriptures. I try and tell people all the time who want to prophesy to do it and don't be afraid. We're supposed to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophesy. Speak the word of God, do it, be bold, be, be excited about that. But I also tell them that as you're about to do it, whether it's with someone one-on-one uh, -on -one, or whether it's from a platform here or whatever it might be, 
I say, try and think of a Bible verse that says the same thing that you're feeling compelled to say, and just use that instead <laughs> as a good rule of thumb, or at least use a Bible verse in conjunction with what you're saying to confirm what you're saying. It's a really good practice because God's word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is it's alive. And sometimes, um, or one time there was a guy talking to me, how do you really preach God's word? Like, what's the best way to go about it? He said, just let it out of its cage. Because God's word is so powerful. It's been changing lives for a long, long time. Long, long time. And so to conclude, I just want to read a verse that sums this up. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 through 13, gives us one last picture. And so kids, this one's for you. All right, this is a little picture. Remember how it was raining a bunch recently? All that rain coming down? You gotta think about that rain coming down. Or remember in the, in the kind of like, I guess it'd be like February or something when you wake up and the grass is all covered in dew? This is what that verse is all gonna be about. So my word, God says, which comes from my mouth is like the rain and the snow and the dew. It settles down, it comes down. It will not come back to me without results. It will accomplish whatever I want and achieve whatever I send it to do. It'll cause you to go out with joy and be led out in peace. It'll cause the mountain and the hills to break into songs of joy in your presence and all the trees to clap their hands. Cypress trees will grow where thorn bushes grew. Myrtle trees will grow where briars grew. This will be a reminder of the Lord's name and an everlasting sign that will never be destroyed. So just like when that rain comes down and settles on the earth, the earth does not stay the same. It might seem at first like the earth's all the same, but underneath that, you know, there's little seeds, and a lot of them are weeds, especially now, but there's little seeds, good seeds and bad seeds, all underneath the ground, and as God's words come, it causes those things to be quickened, to come to life, those seeds to die, and all of a sudden, these shoots to start coming up and coming out. And I believe a little bit of 2020 and the shaking that we've been through is a little bit of God kind of bringing to fruition a lot of the seeds that we have planted as individuals and as a nation. And it ain't pretty. Except for where it's pretty. And my prayer is that we right now as the church, God's instrument in this world to help his name and his kingdom and his glory be known and felt. That we would be planting seeds right now like never before. We would be allowing the word of God to abide in us more than ever before. We would be speaking out and teaching our kids and our families and our communities the word of God like never before. So that in due time, whether it just be the rains and blessings of God that bring it to fruition, or there's more shaking that comes that brings to fruition. We would get to see a lot of good fruit show up from the people of God. And it's happened many times before where the people of God have been able to usher in awakening and renewal. And that's what I'm praying for again. So we've got the words of Jesus. We just now have to put them into practice like wise builders and allow the good fruit to show up for our own families, but also for the community around us. Amen? Amen. You did so good, kids. Let's hear it for the kids. <laughs>